just kind of a setup for, for that as we're moving into the uh, 28 tonight, just as a reminder, we've been in a succession of, that we're looking at the kings primarily in Judah, as uh, the kingdom of Israel separated into two kingdoms, the Israel, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Chronicles, first and second chronicles, chronicling for us the, the kings primarily in the south in Judah. And we've looked at the last time we were together, we looked at three kings, three, for the most part, good kings. We looked at two that started out very good and then ran into some issues. Back in chapter 25, Amaziah, it told us that he followed, he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with his whole heart. And we discussed the problems that that led to him later on, that because his whole heart wasn't devoted for the Lord, he was later led away into idolatry. His son Uzziah was the, the one who succeeded him. He reigned for 52 years, and for the vast majority of those years, he was a very good and godly king. We did see again, though, at the end of his reign, pride crept in, even to the point where he overstepped his bounds as a king, went into, into the temple to offer incense, a thing that a king had no right to do. And when he was confronted by the priests for that, you know, it, and we, we talked about all of that. So anyway, he, he struggled at the, towards the end of his life. But then, um, then we saw, last, lastly, Jotham, his son, succeeded him. And nothing is recorded in, in, the, in the Bible about Jotham that he did anything against the Lord. Not that he was a perfect man, but he served God. And what we do see here is um, it says that he, didn't, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father did. However, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. He learned that lesson. The people continued to act corruptly, however. A godly king, one who sought after the Lord, we see that you know, it was because he ordered his ways after the Lord his God in verse 6 of chapter 27. But the people... The, the people of, of Judah were not following after the Lord. And I say that to set this up because it's, it's shocking to me what we read about as we get into chapter 28. Because again, overall, Amaziah, a godly man, loved the Lord. Uzziah, a godly man, he's the one that when he died, Isaiah recorded in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I mean, that was, it was a difficult time when Uzziah died. 52 years, a godly king leading the people. Jotham, his son, only reigned for, for, I believe it was 16 years. But then we come to chapter 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And note, he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David, his father, had done. But, verse 2, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Instead of following after the godly example, tracing all the way back to David, but even, like I said, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father, these godly examples for the most part, and, as I mentioned, Isaiah the prophet, alive at this time. We'll see, get to a little bit more of that, even a direct uh, contact with Ahaz. But all of these godly influences around, yet we see the culture that is around not following the Lord. The people continued acting corruptly, as we saw in chapter 27. Influenced by the culture, no doubt, turning away from that. 
and walking in the ways of the kings of Israel. As we've documented, there was not one godly king in the entire history of the northern ten tribes of Israel. Not one. He follows after the ways of the kings of Israel, and as he takes those steps, I, it's, it's, it's difficult to fathom what we're going to read takes place in this, in this. And this is early on in his reign. We're going to see as we move into the latter verses here into verse 5 and following, God delivers them over and mentions in verse 6, Pekah, the son of uh, Ramaliah, was the king in Israel. When this invasion takes place, he was only reigning for three years. He died three years into Ahaz's reign. So this happens very early on in his reign. It says, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molted images for the Baals. So he made molted images not only to misrepresent God, but to serve the gods of Baal. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnon and, note this, burned his sons in fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. We've commented a few times in the history of studying the, the northern tribes, the god Molech that was worshipped by many of the, of the nations that the Israelites drove out. What was done is they would heat up these, these idols of Molech that had these metal arms that were sticking out. They would heat the, the, this idol up to the point where the, the arms are glowing because they're so, they're so hot. And they would place their live baby children on the arms of Molech, sacrificing it, and they would tumble in and be burned in fire. That's what is being spoken of here. Guys, we can never underestimate the evil that man is capable of when they turn away from the true and living God. And we know that even just looking at the history of our country. Those of you who can, can, can remember, you know, 50 years ago, could you have ever imagined that we as a country would be where we are today? With some of the things, you know, again, like Isaiah calls, calling evil good and good evil. Some of the things we even spoke of this past weekend, sexual immorality, abortion, all of these types of things. Never, we can't underestimate, again, the evil that, that mankind is capable of when we turn away from the true and living God. And again, this happened quickly. And I, I emphasize this because this is, we've talked of this many times, but it, it bears repeating each time. Godly parents, make sure that you are pouring into your children regularly, but children, it's not enough to have godly parents. You have to make that decision yourself. You have to choose to follow after God, never making compromises, never going down these paths, because you might sit here and think, I would never go that far. I would never end up that way. But young people walking away from God, you never can know how far you can go away. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree, Moreover, or where, I'm sorry, wherefore, verse five, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. 
And he was also delivered into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. Verse 7, for Pekah, the son of Ramallah, he's the king in Israel at the time, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men. These were valiant warriors, but 120,000 of them wiped out in a day because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. God, instead of following after the true and living God, turning their back. Now, there's some important information that we piece together, and part of Wednesday nights is I piece this together, but studying this on your own, it's important to note, um, this is recorded also for us in 2 Kings chapter 16, we get a little bit more information, as well as, as I mentioned, Isaiah um, is is a prophet at this time in Isaiah chapter seven speaks of this very incident as well that we're looking at right now. It tells us that the king, the king in Damascus, the king in Israel made a kind of a deal with the king in Damascus to come against Israel or Judah. I mean, to come against Judah in the South. And when that word came, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter seven, God told Isaiah, go talk to Ahaz, tell him, not to worry about these two kings. Don't, don't fret about them. Don't worry about them. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4 says, And say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. That's how God referred to them. They might think they're big and bad and, and roaring flames. God says they're two little stubs. Don't worry about them. He, he goes on to say, they will not stand against you, nor shall they pass by. But he says, you have to trust me. If you don't, you will fall. Isaiah chose, or I'm sorry, Ahaz chose not to listen to the words of Isaiah, not to trust the Lord, instead to make a pact with the king of Assyria to send money, to send gold, to send silver to the king of Assyria. And it tells us that initially worked out for him because the king of Assyria then came and we know invaded in Israel, destroyed Israel and Damascus at the time. And it would be only a few short years, 10 years later, that all of Israel would be taken away into captivity by Assyria. It tells us that Ahaz then went up to Damascus to kind of take a look at how things all played out. There he saw a copy of the altar that was made in Damascus. And he said, you know what? That would look great down in the temple in Jerusalem. So he sent a copy of it down to, back to Jerusalem. And it tells us in uh, 2 Kings chapter 16, Arijah the priest did according to all that the king had commanded. He sent a copy of it. He said, take that altar that we have out in front, move that around to the side, build this new one out in front. And it tells us that the priest did that. Now, I, I kind of fill in a little bit of that because again, this, this will come into play a little bit later if we get that far. Um, but all, this, the, the, the original conquering that takes place 
or the, the original battle that takes place, they, they lose this battle that we just saw here. He calls out to Assyria. Instead of calling out to the Lord, they come in and, and take care of that. Instead of standing up, as we saw back in chapter 26, to a king that was doing wrong, the priests, remember, went in and, and said, stop, you're out of line. And that's when the, the whole leprosy thing took place. The boldness of that, we see the priests here, instead of standing up to them, following in the evil and wicked ways. Well, back to Second Chronicles, now with that little bit of added history that's in there. Sees 120,000 of them in one day destroyed. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Messiah, the king's son, and Azirakam, the ruler of the house of Elkanah, the second to the king. So two of the king's sons are killed in this. In addition to a couple of the sons that he sacrificed to, to Molech. The sons of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they took also a great deal of spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. So they wipe out 120,000 of them. They take 200,000 of them captive, and they're taking them back up as slaves, back up into Israel. Verse 9, but a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. We know nothing more about this man than what we're going to read in these couple of verses, but this is a bold man. <laughs> the message that he brings, he hears from the Lord, obviously, but this, this takes a lot of guts. You got to be thinking, and you're going to, when you, you'll think right this along with me, the message he's going to bring right now against all of these warriors, you're thinking, this is my last message. <laughs> all right, Lord, I'm coming, I'm coming home soon. The prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded, and he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. And notice, you have slain them in a rage which has even reached heaven. Now you are proposing to, to subjugate for yourselves the people of Judah and Jerusalem for male and female slaves. Surely, do you not have transgressions of your own against the Lord your God? Now, therefore, listen to me and return the captives who you, whom you have captured from your brothers, for the burning anger of the Lord is against you. That's a that's a pretty bold <laughs> message to bring to a conquering army as they're returning home with their slaves. And paraphrasing what he's saying is God delivered them into your hands. God used you to bring a message to your brothers in Judah. Remember, they're brothers. This is all still Israel, national Israel, even though it's still been it's broken up. These are your brothers. And God used you to bring a message, to teach a lesson to your brothers, but you went way too far. Notice he uses, you have slain them in a rage. They, they got into this fury as they are fighting against them. And because of that, they didn't know when to stop. And they just kept on going. Even to the point, again, of taking slaves. And what he's saying is, don't you understand? It's not like you're any better than they are. Don't you understand how you have transgressed against God? And God wanted to use you to bring this lesson, but again, you've gone way too far. 
And just pondering that today, it's easy for us to kind of pass over that because of the severity of it. But I think there's an important lesson for us as as believers in this. Because there is, from time to time, obviously there's going to be issues where we need to deal with or we need to confront or that God might want to use us to speak into the life of someone, to confront someone in their, in their life with, with sin in their life. But there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Matter of fact, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 and gives us the outline as to how we are to do that. He says, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We need to understand that our role in restoring our role in confronting our role in dealing with another who is caught in sin, caught in a trespass, is one of gentleness. Yes, firmness, no doubt, if that is necessary, but always in a spirit of gentleness. We can never get to that point of wrath, of anger. James says in James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And that's, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Especially when it gets personal, especially when it gets really close to home. It's easy for us to become angry. It's easy for us to even get to the point where we feel that we need to step out and, and do more because something that's not happening the way that we think it should happen and that type of thing. But a spirit of gentleness, anger, cannot achieve the righteousness of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Peter writes, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Here, They're guilty, and this is being brought right to their face that says, it it should grieve us whenever our brother is chastised. Whenever there is discipline that is brought against someone, it should grieve us. Instead, they seem to be boasting in it. Now, therefore, listen to me and return to them. Notice this too, though. This is great, the response. Some of the heads of the sons of Ephraim, the leaders, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Bechariah, the son of Meshalamoth, Jehekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Heldali, arose against those who were coming from the battle and said to them, you must not bring the captives in here. For you are proposing to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, adding to our sins and to our guilt. For our guilt is great, so that his burning anger is against Israel. 
So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the officers in all of the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name arose, took the captives, and they clothed all their naked ones from the spoil, gave them clothes and sandals, fed them, gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led all their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. Repenting, turning, turning away from what it was, receiving the word from the Lord, humbling themselves, saying, we're guilty before God, and even blessing these ones as they return them and take them, take them back. Verse 16, at that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help, for again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. So now they're getting attacked again, God bringing judgment again even more because he still has not turned. We're going to see in a little bit, he could, he could, this continues. But the Edomites come and attacked, carried away the captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ahajan, uh, Gedaroth and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo, not Gizmo, with its villages, and they settled there. I actually thought for a second my dog's name was in the Bible, but it's not. <laughs> Gimzo. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. God humbling Judah because they followed again after their king who just went, went crazy with this. So Tilgath Pilnzer, the king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Again, initially it went well because he went up and wiped out the king of, of, of Damascus, king of Israel, took care of all of that up north, that, that pressure's taken away, but then he turns. He's not, he's not making friends with Ahaz. He actually turns and afflicts him instead of strengthening him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the palace of the king of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. Now, in the time of distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. All of this that God is bringing. Again, if you, were, if you were here this weekend, this Sunday, we talked about the fact God gave them over. And God's heart always is that when you get what you want, you, you realize how, how horrible this is, the destruction that comes, the difficulties that follow to turn back to God. But here we see instead of that happening, he became yet more unfaithful to the Lord turning even further away, stiffening his neck even more. Notice this, verse 23, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the king of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and of all Israel. Again, sometimes you read these things and you're like, that can't be true. How could you ever get to that point? That doesn't even make any sense. 
if you're going to go to a, a god of another, don't, don't go to the ones of the gods that beat you. Go to the ones of the gods that beat them. <laughs> I mean, the gods of Damascus, the, the gods of, you know, what? I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense. But again, instead of turning back, and this is the, this is the, this is the progression so often, hardening the heart, hardening the heart, hardening the heart. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God into pieces. Notice this. And he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. Not only has he turned out, he's closed off the temple to everybody else. Hardening his heart to that point. Getting so far. Closing off the temple. And again, I note, I ask the question, where are the priests? Where are the Levites? Where are all of those that are here? How do they let, the, how do they let this happen? But they let it happen. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the Lord, the God of his father, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from the first to the last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of Jerusalem for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. It's interesting, even the people, it got to the point where it was so bad, they didn't even honor him as in burying him with the rest of the kings. They buried him in, in Jerusalem, but not in the tombs of the kings. Now, chapter 28's over. Yay. <laughs> chapter 29, Hezekiah became king. When he was 25 years old, he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 2, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, if you have a little, if you're a note taker, 2 Kings chapter 18 tells us this is a little bit more addition to verse 2. 2 Kings 18 verses 5 and 6, again speaking Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. That is quite a statement. In all of the history of Judah, none like him before or after. Because he clung to the Lord and obeyed his word. Now, as, as crazy as chapter 28 sounds to me, and almost as discouraging as that can be, because it, it, that, you know, as parents, you pour into a child and pour into a child and, and have that godly influence. And, and many of us have, have seen a child when they grow up kind of go off the rails. Hopefully never like, like Ahaz. But here we see the other side of that that even as wicked as his father was, 
Hezekiah was a godly man. He was, I just, going back and looking through the math, he was, he was nine years old when his grandpa Jotham died. Wonder how much influence he had on his life. Isaiah, the prophet, we're gonna see, we won't get there tonight, but we'll see as we continue to study through the influence that he had. Hezekiah goes to him. Hezekiah seeks him out. But a, God, a godly man, and as we mentioned how fast Ahaz, his rocket ride down went. Look at this. This is, this is really cool. It, verse three, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. The entire country is in absolute disarray. I mean, just, just imagine where everything is right now. By this time, the northern tribes have been taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. They no longer exist. So Israel, and we know from, from going through 2 Kings, what Assyria would do then would bring captives from other nations in to assimilate them into the other areas. So this is a crazy thing that's going on north of them now. And the fear of Assyrian, Assyria coming against them, I mean, the whole place is in shambles. What's the first thing he does? He goes and reopens the temple. This young man says, you know, I might not know how to rule because my dad sure didn't give me much of a good example, but I know the first thing I got to do. We got to get right with God. We got we to get this thing turned back in the right direction. And this is, the, this is the first order of business. We need to get right with God. I thought it was kind of interesting just thinking, remember this whole craziness. It's like if, if you watch the news, I don't even watch the news. And I kept on hearing the first hundred days, the first hundred days, the first hundred days. Remember? I mean, it's just like everywhere. About the first 30 days, we're going to get the temple of God back. <laughs> we're going to, looking back on this, I was thinking, man, wouldn't that have been great if that was the first agenda item? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a, a time of fasting and prayer as a nation. I don't care what all you all think of that. We're going to do it. <laughs> Remember, though, and, and what, he's, what he's up against. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a priesthood that, that's a bunch of cowards. He's got a, a whole nation that is, that's just, he might be even be thinking, hey, Isaiah, it's just me and you, pal, but the first thing we're going to do is bust the locks off of the, off of the temple and we're going to get, we're going to get that taken care of. He brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. And he said to them, listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves. And I have this circled now. Now. And consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs. 
They've done evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember what I read back here when it tells us about him that there was no king, no king like him because he, he clung to the Lord and he did not depart from following him but kept his commandments. You know, it's interesting when you think about if we set our, our gauge as just above our culture, let's just say if we set it where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna maintain a level of 100 feet above our culture, what happens when the culture goes like this and it keeps going like this? Well, we can take pride in the fact that we're not down there. But we're going right down too. And I think, unfortunately, that's happened to a big part of the church. Where we say, you know what? We have to stay relevant. We have to, we have to stay connected. We have to all of this stuff. And whereas if we cling to God as Hezekiah did, and we stay true to his word. He never changes. And I love the challenge that he's saying here. We have been unfaithful and done evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the only sight that matters. That's the only set of eyes that matters. We've forsaken him and turned our faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, turned and turned their backs. They've also shut the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense and offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was against Judah and Jerusalem. And he has made them an object of terror, of horror, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his burning anger may turn away from us. Notice this. I think this, is, I think this is interesting. Verse 11. My sons, do not be negligent now. He's talking to the priests, to the Levites, to those that are probably much older than him. He's 25, remember? He's in the first couple of weeks of his reign. Yet he's taking a bold stand for God. And in that, he is speaking to them as a, a father in the faith, if you would. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, to be his ministers and to burn incense. Again, I might not know everything that needs to transpire, but I know this. He's chosen you. You're the priests. You're the Levites. So act like it. <laughs> God, you know, and we, we look at this, James 15, 16. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. You go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. children of God. Act like it. Hey, Van, it's your mic. I came down here and tell Anyway, I just heard you chuckle in my ear. Anyway. 
<laughs> Verse 12. Then, for the, then the Levites arose, Mahath the sons of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Merari, Kish the sons of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalel, and from the Gershonites, Joah the son of Zimna, and Eda, Eden the sons of Joah. And from the sons of Elisvan, Shimri, and Jael, and the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah. And from the sons of Heman, Jehalel, and Shimi. And from the sons of Jejuthun, Shemahiah, and Uziel. I know. <laughs> you try it. <laughs> I skip over a lot of names a lot of times for that very reason. However... I think it's important here because though I butchered most of them, <laughs> they're recorded here. And these are ones that said, you know what, Hezekiah will stand with you. You're not alone in this. We're convicted. We've, <laughs> we have abandoned our post, but we will come back and we will stand with you. It says they assembled their brothers. They consecrated themselves. They, they said, enough's enough. We're, we're repenting. We're turning back. We are turning back to the Lord. Consecrating means setting themselves apart, purifying themselves. And then they went in to cleanse the house of the Lord, according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord. So the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and every unclean thing which they found in the temple of the Lord, they brought out of the court to the court of the house of the Lord. Then the Levites received it to carry it out to the Kidron Valley. They went in and they, they scrubbed it. They did a deep cleaning in the temple. And guys, we know this. Our body is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And our, our challenge all the time, and I'll challenge again, that God search me. Is there anything unclean in me? Anything in me that does not please you? If it is, every unclean thing out. From the inside out. Remove it. Now they began the consecration on the first day of the month. On the eighth day of the month, they entered the porch of the Lord. Then they consecrated the house of the Lord in eight days. And they, they're on a mission here. This is, this, and I, I, when I'm reading this and I, I'm going through this, just again, the time frame that this is all happening in, they are passionate about this because there's a holy fire lit again by this godly man, Hezekiah. Finished on the sixth day of the first month. Then they went to King Hezekiah and said, we have cleansed the whole house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with its utensils and the table of showbread with its utensils. Moreover, all the utensils which King Ahaz had discarded during his reign in his unfaithfulness, we have prepared and consecrated and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Verse 20, then King Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. He couldn't wait for this day. It's back, the temple is ready, and we're gonna worship. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for the sin offering for the kingdom, the sanctuary, and Judah. 
And he ordered the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Again, he tells the priests to do it because that's their job. He doesn't dare step into that role. <laughs> he knows he knows his, his role. He knows their role. So they slaughtered the bulls and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. They also slaughtered the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They slaughtered the lambs also, sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought the male goats of the sin offering before the king and the assembly and they laid their hands on them, again, symbolically transferring the sins of their sins and the sins of the people onto the, the goats. The priests slaughtered them and purged the altar with the blood to atone for all Israel. For the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For the command was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with musical instruments of David and the priests with trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped. We don't know how many people are assembled here. It doesn't tell us. We're going to see as this continues through and into the next chapter, which I thought we would easily get through tonight, um, doesn't look like it, but we're going to see that revival starts to take place. We're going to see that, that people were waiting for some godly man to step up and to start leading them again in the right direction. The whole assembly, however many there were there, assume a pretty large number, the whole assembly worshiped. The singers also sang and the trumpets sounded and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were presented with him bowed down in worship. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshiped. That word worshiped used three times there in three verses. Worshiping God, how long had it been? How long had it been? At least 16 years. Worshiping God. Following the commands of the Lord with the sacrifices, sanctifying themselves, consecrating themselves. Then Hezekiah said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring th sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all those who were willing brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 lambs, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were burnt offerings to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. So the people then, after this general sacrifice is done for that, saying, now bring forward your personal offerings. And willingly, these people are coming in again, just worshiping God with this. The priests, sad state here, the priests were too few so that they were unable to skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was completed and until the other priests had consecrated themselves. There's still some other priests that are still 
slowly coming into the fold with this thing. Again, a beautiful thing is happening here, but it shows how far, again, the country had fallen away, how far even the religious leaders had fallen away. For the Levites were more conscientious to consecrate themselves than the priests. There were also many burnt offerings with the fat and peace offerings and with the libations with the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was established again. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about so suddenly. They're, they're rejoicing. They are praising God. And again, we don't know how many are here, but the ones that are there are blown away by how fast it all took place. They're, they're responding to the goodness of God and the response of one godly man. What can happen? This, this king, in this short period of time, they're blown away because they know this is only God could do this. Only God could do this. They rejoice over what God had prepared for the people because it had happened so suddenly. I wanted to get through chapter 30, and we won't tonight, but look down in verse 15. What's going to happen, just a little preview of coming attractions next week. Um, Hezekiah says, we need to celebrate Passover. And he sends out an invitation, even up into Israel, for those that still remain in little pockets up in Israel, inviting everyone to come. And verse 15 says, they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and Levites were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. Ashamed of themselves, no doubt because they see the response of the people that come. And no doubt because they saw in that, these people, all they needed was people to lead them. All they needed was godly people to stand up for the Lord. They, in their cowardice, they're thinking, okay, this wicked king, they looked around and they saw that most of the people were acting wickedly and following after that and said, you know, what's the, we'll just kind of hide out and maybe, you know, have our own little thing going on here. But realized, man, look at all the people, how hungry they were and ashamed of themselves for not standing up for what they knew was right. And I, I guess the point I wanted to make with that, because again, I, it f tied so much into what we were looking at already is, guys, we live in times where there's times when we look around and we got to wonder at times, are we, is there only just a few of us left in, in our workplace and, you know, wherever it might be. And if times continue to keep going the way that they're going, I mean, Praise the Lord, we see glimmers of hope here, and I believe that there's still plenty enough time for another great revival to sweep across this country and around the world. I'm still praying for all of that. But if it continues to get darker and darker and darker, that doesn't mean that we huddle up and, if anything, we need to be even more bold to stand up, and, and that gives confidence, and that gives hope to those others that, that perhaps aren't, aren't as strong in their, in their relationship. 
it just struck me that here are these priests and Levites. They knew what was wrong, yet they didn't stand up for it. And yet then when they saw the response of when it took, when one godly man stood up and did all of this and the massive response to it, it says they were ashamed. I don't ever want to be in that position. So read ahead. Spend the next, the next few times together. I'm, I'm so glad. And again, there's not, not that there's not lessons to learn from Ahaz, but I'm really glad he only got one chapter and Hezekiah gets like six. So, um, so we'll be looking at his life for, for, a, for a few weeks to come. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word and for the power of it. We thank you for godly men like Hezekiah and the example that he is for us. God, if we just cling to you, if we don't allow the ebbs and flows of the culture and the, and the thing around us to affect us, but we cling to you and we hold tight to your word, Lord, we know that we stand on, on the rock when the, the storms come, and they will. We won't fall. We won't crumble. And Lord, our prayer is that you would use us in this time, that, that you would continue to, to fan into flame this, this passion in us to be your representatives, to be these lights in this dark world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.